Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio, and our sponsors, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Well, this was a big week in California. Numerous districts announced that they would open this fall, offering instruction to students via distance learning. Then Governor Newsom on Friday likely accelerated that process when he announced that this fall, all schools, those are both public and private ones, in counties being monitored by the state for rising coronavirus infections, would have to be closed for in-person instruction for at least 14 days. Let's hear a clip from Newsom's press conference on Friday. Our students, our teachers, staff, and certainly parents, we all prefer in-classroom instructions for all the obvious reasons, social and emotional foundationally, but only, only if it can be done safely. As a parent, I believe that. As someone that has a responsibility to help support education uh, of six-plus million kids in the state of California, I have the backs of our staff, our teachers, our school nurses, our counselors, our guidance staff, principals, bus drivers, janitors, all the folks that are responsible for the caretaking, uh, the safety and the health of our children. We have to have their backs as well, including obviously uh, the preciousness that is our children and the kids in our education system. But safety is foundational. Newsom's announcement at the press conference comes just weeks before schools are scheduled to open again. But as of today, nearly all of the state's most populous counties are on the state's monitoring list. And that means that huge numbers of schools would be affected by that. And the impact of the governor's order will be to push up the timetable for hundreds of school districts that have been on the fence as to whether they should send students back to school or open in some sort of hybrid part classroom, part long distance learning mode. Now, they'll likely choose remote learning to avoid being caught if their county ends up on the monitoring list. Yeah, we don't know how long it'll take for counties to get off that list, but with so many districts starting the school with distance learning, you know, a big danger, Lewis, is that there will be even more of a student loss of learning. Yes, and we'll be talking with two superintendents at a couple of districts that have come up with some interesting ideas for targeting some students who have the greatest needs, bringing them to school while most other students and teachers will be at home distance learning. It's not clear whether this will be allowed under the governor's plan, but certainly the idea of trying to reach kids who are at greatest risk of losing ground during this pandemic will be extremely important to focus on. We'll also talk with a key advocate for students about a new state law that sets minimum standards for distance learning and whether those standards actually go far enough. So let's turn to distance learning and the efforts by some school districts to minimize the learning loss students might experience. We're pleased to have on the line Superintendent Matt Duffy from West Contra Costa Unified, which includes Richmond. The district will open on August 17th, mainly in distance learning mode. The district is thinking about setting up what it is calling student support hubs that would bring some students back to school while most of them are at home doing distance learning. Welcome, Superintendent Duffy. Thanks for having me. So could you just tell us briefly, what will these support hubs consist of? Well, we think about this in two phases. Phase one is everybody's in distance learning. And phase two is starting to bring students back as soon as we can. And we have thought about the students who need to come back into our schools first are our highest need students, 
students who need support in different areas, whether that's academic needs, language needs, some social emotional needs. And so we've come up with this idea of a student support hub, really our schools turning into that and being a place where we can bring some of our highest needs students once we feel that schools are safe enough for anybody to enter those buildings. Just give us some idea of how many students we're talking about. Our district is what many people would consider a high needs district. So many, many of our students have needs across our district. So we would be looking at the capacity at which we could handle students. And we would really need to look at how many of our employees could come in once we deem it safe. Do you see that the students would actually get instruction there or is this, this would be for extra tutoring? How would this work? It could happen one of two ways. One way is that the teachers are still all teaching at home and students then come into the building and they're with a qualified professional that could take a variety of forms from an after school support provider a community worker, a paraprofessional, an assistant principal, a certificated staff who are helping guide them through the day. So, okay, it's nine o'clock. Your teacher's about to start their online lesson. We're going to help you guys get online. So that's the teachers are teaching at home. In the second model, when we deem it safe enough, there may be a group of teachers who do come in so certain students can be with them directly. So you've presented this to the board in the form of a framework. Uh, where does that stand? Has the board endorsed this idea yet? They have endorsed the first part of starting in distance learning. And I would say they are nervous about having anybody back in schools. I do think they support the idea of a support hub, but they first and foremost want to make sure it's absolutely safe for any staff or any student to come back. So there is some immediacy to starting this program, is it not for one of the reasons that you wanted to create this hub was that there are families that did not succeed the first time in March to May, technological problems, and many reasons why it wasn't working at home. Can you bring small groups and establish the criteria for small groups as opposed to saying it's now safe for anybody to come back to school, period? Yes, I think there is equal concern about creating safety conditions for large groups and small groups. Uh, we heard at our board meeting just real hesitation to bring even small groups back until we can hammer out those safety conditions. Have you floated this idea to parents and do you have parents sort of sending you emails and saying, hey, I'm in, just let me know when I can send my son or daughter? We do. And I would say in full disclosure, we have parents on all sides of this argument. We have parents who are like, I want to be in tomorrow. I'm ready. We have parents who are telling us you will not see me this entire year. So we really do have parents all over the spectrum. And in terms of high needs, you know, we have parents who are saying my children are high needs and they need to get back. And we also have parents saying my children are high needs and please don't put them at risk in any way, shape or form. Well, on that note, uh, I've been talking with Superintendent Matt Duffy from West Contra Costa County. This notion of student support hubs certainly really intriguing, suggests a way to at least target some of these services to the kids most in need 
So thank you for talking with us today, Superintendent, and uh, good luck. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. We're now going to the South Bay to talk to Don Austin. He's Superintendent of Palo Alto Unified. Palo Alto plans to institute a program it's calling Palo Alto Unified Plus for high-need students not succeeding in distance learning who need further support. Welcome, Superintendent. Hi, thanks for having me today. Could you describe the program and who it will serve? We had some limited success with trying to reach out to students during the closure, but one thing we really picked up on is that some kids need to be face-to-face or in the room with an adult to engage with the curriculum and to have questions answered in a way where there's a personal touch. So we committed a little bit ago now that if we are in a distance learning model, which looks like most of the state is going to, uh, we were going to have the PAUSD Plus, which is an opportunity for students to come in and be with adults to help them not only with tutoring type activities, but to even help them navigate their classes that they'll be receiving online. We thought this needs to be our, our opportunity to prioritize and, and really get them in front of people more routinely and more personally. Who exactly will it serve and how will you decide what the priorities are? We're looking at a combination of low income, historically underrepresented, and then any student who earned no credits. That by definition is right now our definition of an at-risk student. And just to clarify, so those would come into a classroom. How often do you anticipate that when you're thinking about this? Or is that still up for grabs? We are still developing that, but uh, a minimum of three times per week where these students would be personally invited and reached out to to come in and be physically with us. But the program said it would almost be like a regular full day, right? Yes, Yeah, so I understand it's taken a twist, a little twist. Who's going to teach this program? Well, it it is evolving. Like many school districts, our union has expressed concerns about coming back in any fashion. So they've clarified that, you know, it is not their intent to come back and be a part of anything physical. So at this point, we've to make sure that we're guaranteeing a program for students. Our administrative team has uh, unanimously agreed to run the program. We expect that there will be teachers and librarians and other members of our district team that will join. And we are going to put out word that we would like community volunteers that would be interested in coming in, being part of a cohort that could help us with logistics as well. But for right now, at a minimum, our administrative team is more than happy to carry the load. Is it big enough to actually support this program? How many students and how many administrators do you have to run this PLUS program? Well, we don't know what the actual number of students who will take us up on the offer is, but we're anticipating in the ballpark of about 1,000 students right now, looking at our generated list, it's actually a little closer to 1,100. And we have about 100 administrators in like kind of positions. And I also just really do anticipate that some teachers will be more than happy to come back and participate, although the official stance would be that would not be something required. And I'm just, I'm really intrigued uh, by one of the things you said, and uh, that Superintendent Duffy from West Contra Costa had a similar notion in their, their support hubs that one of the challenges is having students really be able to take full advantage of the distance learning program. So what you're saying, one of the things you might do is have students in school helping them 
get through, navigate the distance learning, that they would actually be taking those classes while the teacher was teaching remotely. That's absolutely accurate. Uh, you have to remember, everything is not equal. Just because every kid in our district, and we, we are blessed, you know, we, we are well-resourced. Uh, every student does have a computer and internet access. That does not mean that they all have a quiet place to learn or that they don't have four other siblings fighting for the same tools or attention or that they have someone at home to help them. So sometimes you just need somebody to be in the same room with you to keep you going. The teachers union is indicated not interested in participating, but do you have the support of the board and when are you ready to launch this? We have the full support of the board. In fact, that is a prioritized area for the board is making sure that we leverage our resources to help the students who need us the most. That, that's priority number one for our school board. We are still working through a few things. We begin school on August 17th. Our thought is if we start school in whatever format we do in some form of distance learning, we will be ready to open PAUSD Plus on August 17th as well. Well, good luck. It's an ambitious program. We've been speaking with Superintendent Don Austin of Palo Alto Unified. Thanks for coming on and good luck. All right. Thank you. You know, John, Linda Darling-Hammond, she's the president of the State Board of Education, has been arguing for months that the pandemic might actually spawn some innovation, and it's encouraging to see these new ideas percolating. But as we say, the proof is in the pudding. None of these programs are actually off the ground, so we'll be very interested to see if they do get off the ground, how they will work going forward. Well, you know, to extend the metaphor, Lewis, one important ingredient is parents. It's not news that many parents were frustrated by their district's efforts with distance learning last spring. What is newsworthy is that parents will now have a formal way to share their opinions and make suggestions on how distance learning can be improved. The legislature provided that opportunity by requiring that districts create a learning plan that incorporates the suggestions of parents and students. For a perspective on this issue, we have on the line Sarah Lillis. Sarah is the executive director in California of Teach Plus. That's a nonprofit organization that encourages and trains accomplished teachers to become leaders in policy and instructional practice. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. So, Sarah, what is the so-called learning continuity and attendance plan that the legislature has come up with? And I think they're just calling it learning continuity plan, right? Yes, the danger of having two different plans with the same acronym. This is the learning continuity plan. And this was the attempt of the state legislature to help organize districts and LEAs, local leaders, to define how they're going to address the needs of students in their school community. This is really focused on the immediate needs for schools and students in this time of crisis. So how are they going to address engaging stakeholders? How are they going to address dealing with the lost instructional time or learning loss, as we're calling it? How they're going to address the specific social and emotional needs of students as they're coping with the trauma, the shared and individual trauma uh, that so many students are wrestling with right now in this time of crisis. Well, that sounds like it would require quite a detailed plan. I mean, or is it just checking off the boxes? We don't know yet. And that's that's the hope that it's somewhere between the really robust detailed plan that the LCAP, the traditional LCAP is, and something that's just about checking off boxes. The state right now is developing the template. They're intending to develop it by August 1st. Um, local leaders have to then complete the plan by September 30th. So again, it's a really quick timeline. And it's also challenging, I know, for local leaders because school will have started. 
So they're building the plane as they're flying it, as you say. And so there are a lot of challenges that that presents. Nevertheless, we saw in the spring in our time of crisis schooling that there was incredible inequity in terms of access for students of instructional time and social emotional supports. And I appreciate uh, state leaders in saying that we cannot accept crisis schooling going forward. We have to really have some process for local stakeholders and constituents to work with the school and district leaders to identify what students need going forward. This learning continuity plan does require school districts to keep attendance, to actually give grades. I mean, there is supposed to be some more accountability than there was last spring, right? Yes, this is, a, this is an attempt to have some accountability. Nevertheless, it's really about uh, transparency and reporting. There's not accountability in terms of there is oversight from anybody. So local districts will provide the plan to the county offices and the county offices will review it and provide feedback. But there's no it does not need to be approved in the same way that an LCAP does. Well, you and others weren't satisfied with the minimum standards that the legislature set for distance learning, and how might it improve what districts have been doing? Yes, I think we appreciated that the state legislature made it clear that there needs to be some minimum expectation, but they didn't give a lot of meat into what that is. And so I will say the lived experience of the teachers we work with and their students was that without that guidance, without a sense of expectation of what robust distance learning instruction looks like. How do you support the social emotional needs of students? How do you engage with families and support families to make sure they can support their students in the learning that is happening at home? And that was missing. And without it, we saw some students actually lost. So particularly our most vulnerable students, so our English learners, students with disabilities, uh, low-income students. Those are the students who, in many cases, had very little to no interaction with the adults in their school site, despite the best efforts of those adults. And so without a clear expectation from the state that that is not acceptable, we're talking about incredible exacerbation of the gaps in access and opportunity for students locally. Before I let you go, is it realistic or is it really too much to be asking so much of schools and of teachers right now? It's a lot. I know it's a lot, but it's what our students require. Again, I think setting the expectation that we are going to serve all students, regardless of modality, is a baseline. Figuring out how to do that is all of our responsibilities as a community. And I think that my hope is that with the Learning Continuity Plan, it's the beginning of a framework for a conversation to say, this is where we need to get and how are we going to get there? And how are we going to assess how we're doing? This is new for everyone, right? This is just, this is uncharted territory. And if we don't have a system to figure it out together and to learn and improve, again, we're going to lose students. And that can't be acceptable for the state of California. Okay, well, on that note, we've been talking with Sarah Lillis, who is Executive Director of Teach Plus. Thanks for talking with us today. Thank you. John, you wrote about the Learning Continuity Plan. And for those of you who want to get more details, check out John's article on our website, as well as all the other reports tracking the multiple moving parts of this pandemic. The next few weeks are going to be big ones as school districts, as well as colleges, make big decisions about how they will operate in the fall. 
And that wraps it up for this week's podcast. Our producer is Kobe McDonald, still coordinating all of this remotely. Thanks, Kobe. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and its source's own Justin Allen. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Thank you.